If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 490. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. Learn true, T-R-U-E, learntruehistory.com, or by clicking on that support tab or shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can get all kinds of cool stuff and all of that thing. Of course, free class at McClanahan Academy. You can get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff by clicking on that shop tab. You can get your book plate by clicking on that support tab. If you want my autograph on one of my books, and of course, I've got nine of those. My most recent is the Jeffersonian Tradition. All kinds of great ways to support the show. And as always, share it around on social media. Rate it where you get your podcasts. Let people know you're listening to this show. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. And send those show requests. Now, all that said, I want to talk about a a party platform. And I'm going to read some of this to you. And before I tell you who it's for, I want you to think to yourself, does this sound pretty good? And when I tell you who it's for, then I want you to think to yourself, what do you, I mean, your reaction to it. What is your reaction when I tell you who this party platform is for, right? So I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to read, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a very long platform, but I'm going to leave out the candidates, okay? And so when I tell you the candidate, I want you to think in yourself how you feel about that. So the platform, the preamble says, a sense of destiny pervades the creation and adoption of this first of this platform, of this party, a platform personifying the ideals, hopes, and aspirations and proposals for action of the party and its candidates for the presidency and vice presidency of the United States. As this great nation searched vainly for leadership while beset by riots, minority group rebellions, domestic disorders, student protests, spiraling living costs, soaring interest rates, a frightening increase in the crime rate, war abroad, and loss of personal liberty at home, while our national political parties and their leaders paid homage to the legions of dissent and disorder and worshipped at the shrine of political expediency, only this party and its candidates possess the courage and fortitude to openly propose and advocate to the nation those actions which are necessary to return this country to its accustomed and deserved position of leadership among the community of nations and to offer hope to our people of some relief for the continued turmoil, frustration, and confusion brought about through the fearful and inept leadership of our national political parties. It is to this end, and for this purpose, that this platform is designed. Herein will be set forth with the policies, attitude, proposals, and positions of the party and its candidates, with matters of deepest concern to the average American, his home, his family, his property, his employment, his right to safety and security in the pursuit of activities of his daily life, his right to freedom from interference and harassment from and by the government at all levels, and lastly, his pride in himself and this nation and all that it has stood for. We feel that this American has had an intense devotion to his country, 
glorifies in its accomplishments and is saddened by its failures and shortcomings, that he is tolerant of the mistakes of political leaders if he senses their actions to be in good faith and directed to the best interests of the country, but is but he is confused and dismayed when these leaders desert the principles of government for the people and, de- and dedicate themselves to minority appeasement as the country bums and decays. I should say burns and decays. Excuse me, there's, there's a typo there. Burns and decays. This document treats both foreign and domestic policy and is basically designed to present the proposals and action, action programs of this party and its candidates in the area of, number one, peace abroad and domestic tranquility at home, two, an enlightened and advancing educational program assisted but not controlled by the federal government. Three, job training and opportunity for all Americans willing and able to seek and hold gainful employment. Four, an alliance and partnership with the private sector of our economy seeking an end to poverty among our people. Five, efficiency and prudence in government spending leading to a helpful and stable economy free from the need of ever-continuing taxation. Six, inclusion of the farmer in our program of prosperity through his own efforts rather than total reliance on government subsidy. Seven, reestablishment of the authority and responsibility of local government by returning to the states, counties, and cities those matters properly falling within their jurisdiction and responsibility. Eight, ending the inflationary spiral of the past decade through fiscal responsibility and efficiency in all echelons of government. Nine, the orderly and economical utilization of the natural resources of this nation, coupled with a sensible program of conservation of these resources. Ten, an assistance that the laboring man and woman be given his fair share of responsibility and reward for the development of the mighty potential of this nation. And eleven, a rededication of this country to the love of God and country and the creation of a judiciary mindful of the attitudes of the people in this regard. So think about that eleven points. I'm going to get into this in a minute. I'm going to read some more of this platform because it's really good. And think about Trump, right? 2016. A lot of that was very Trumpian. And this is a kind of what Trump was saying in 2016. Uh, these are things that we we should we need to do. These are the protect these people. Middle American middle class. The American middle class is under assault. We're going to protect these people. And we're going to do it by reigning in spending making sure taxes don't go up, trying to end inflation. We're going we're gonna to bring the troops home. We're going to return to local rule, home rule of so many things. We're going to get government responsibility, end corruption, put emphasis on the farmer and the laborer. We're going we're gonna to create a real middle-class America. I mean, okay, so think about that. Domestic policy. Clearly, our citizens are deeply concerned of the domestic plight of this nation. Its cities are in decay and turmoil. Its local schools and other institutions stand stripped of their rightful authority. Law enforcement agencies and officers are hampered by arbitrary and unreasonable restrictions imposed by a beguiled judiciary. Crime runs rampant through the nation. Our farmers exist only through unrealistic government subsidies. Welfare rolls and costs soar to astronomical heights. Our great American institutions of learning are in chaos. Living costs rise ever higher as do taxes. Interest rates are reaching new heights. Disciples of dissent and disorder are rewarded for their disruptive actions at the expense of our law-abiding, God-fearing, hard-working citizenry. America is alarmed that these conditions have come to exist and that our national leadership takes no corrective action. We feel that the programs and policies of our party offer this leadership and provide constructive proposals for action for the elimination of of the conditions now existing this we would do in the following manner. So 
they're going to lay out their domestic policy here. And look at all the stuff that this, I mean, how much of this is true in 2021, right? We've got loss of liberty. We've got uh, crime. We've got uh, violence. The, what do you call is the disciples of dissent and disorder are rewarded for the disruptive actions. Think about the left is rewarded on a regular basis for being disciples of dissent and disorder. And they're being rewarded at the expense of law-abiding, God-fearing, hard-working citizens. Absolutely true. I mean, when cities burned to the ground last summer, these people were, oh, this is peaceful, fiery, but mostly peaceful rioting. Fiery, but mostly peaceful. People just barge into stores and take stuff. Nobody's doing anything about it anymore. People are being rewarded for discord and disorder and dissent. They're being rewarded for it. Now, not real dissent, not constructive dissent, but violent dissent. That's the problem. Dissent is always okay. Dissent is the American way. Let's talk about this. This is actually good. Let's dissent from this, and let's think about it, and then we can come up with a good policy. But violent dissent? No. Local government. Think locally, act locally. The founding fathers of our country, when they had won their freedom from King George III in the American Revolution, were engaged in setting up our federal government. And their infinite wisdom visualized the tyranny and despotism which would inevitably result from an omnipotent central government. And they sought to avoid that peril by delegating to that central or, or federal government only those powers which could be best administered by a central or federal government, such as the laying and collecting of taxes to pay the national debt, providing for the common defense, regulating commerce between the states, declaring and waging war, coining money, and establishing and maintaining a postal system. And then they, they provided, in Article 10 of the Bill of Rights, the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution that states, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution or prohibited to it by the states, or prohibited by it to the states, I'm sorry, are reserved to the states respectfully or to the people. So he cite, this pl- platform cites the Tenth Amendment. This is an important part, right? So these are the things the general government can do, and the Tenth Amendment made it clear that all else were left to the states. The federal government, in derogation and flagrant violation of this article of the Bill of Rights, has in the past three decades seized and usurped many powers not delegated to it, such as, among others, the operation and control of the public school system of the several states, the power to prescribe the eligibility and qualifications of those who would vote in our state and local elections, the power to intrude upon the control and control the farmer and the operation of his farm, the power to tell the property owner to whom he can and cannot sell or rent his property, and many other rights and privileges of the individual citizen, which are properly subject to state or local control as distinguished from federal control. The federal government has forced the states to reapportion their legislatures, a prerogative of the states alone. The federal government has attempted to take over and control the seniority and apprenticeship list of the labor unions which they say is unconstitutional. It shall be our purpose to take such steps and pursue such courses as may be necessary and required to restore to the states the powers and authority which rightfully belong to the state and local governments, so that each state shall govern and control its internal affairs without interference or uh, domination of the federal government. We feel that the people of a given state are in a better position to operate its internal affairs, such as its public schools, than is the federal government in Washington. And we pledge our best efforts to restore to state governments those powers which rightfully belong to the respective states and which have been illegally and unlawfully seized by the federal government in direct violation of Article 10 of the Bill of Rights. So, I mean, very Jeffersonian approach here. In fact, 
This entire platform is very Jeffersonian in its approach because Americans are generally Jeffersonian. Americans generally believe in this Jeffersonian vision of a strong middle class, uh, not too rich, not too poor. I mean, wealth is great because they've recognized that if you do make it, well, they want to be wealthy too. Wealth is great. But we want plutocrats running the, the situation like Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates. I mean, these are the plutocrats, and we see there's problems with that. We don't want that. We don't want a political class that enriches themselves. That's communism and fascism. We don't want that. We want good, strong, independent farmers, mechanics, intellectuals, businessmen. We want these men and women. I mean, we want these people. Doesn't matter about race or background or religion. We just want a strong middle class. Low taxes, low inflation. We want things that work for America. This is what Trump was capitalizing on to make America great. It is a patriotic vision, not a nationalist vision. We want, um, we love America. We love this Jeffersonian vision of America. Decentralized, local communities, small towns. That's what we love. That is the vision of America that we all love. Even in your larger cities, which, of course, this platform brings up, that's okay, Right? We love all. We just want that to be better. Our forebears in building our government wisely provided and established in the Constitution of the United States that the federal government should consist of three branches. The legislative, represented by the Congress, whose duty and responsibility it is to enact the laws. The executive, represented by the president, whose duty it is to enforce the laws enacted by the Congress. And the judicial, whose duty and responsibility it is to interpret and construe those laws, not to enact them. The Constitution of the United States provides that the judicial power of the United States shall be vested in a Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress shall from time to time ordain and establish. And further, that the judges of the federal court should hold their offices for life during good behavior. In the period of the past three decades, we have seen the federal judiciary, primarily the Supreme Court, transgress repeatedly upon the prerogatives of the Congress and exceed its authority by enacting judicial legislation in the form of decisions based upon political and sociological considerations which would never have been enacted by the Congress. We have seen them, and their solicitude for the criminal and lawless element of our society shackle the police and other law enforcement agencies, and as a result, they have made it increasingly difficult to protect the law-abiding citizen from crime and criminals. This is one of the principal reasons for the turmoil and the near-revolutionary conditions which prevail in our country today, and particularly in our national capital. The members of the federal judiciary, feeling secure in their knowledge that their appointment is for life, have far exceeded their constitutional authority, which is limited to interpreting or construing the law. It shall be our policy and our purpose at the earliest possible time to propose and advocate and urge the adoption of an amendment to the United States Constitution, whereby members of the federal judiciary at district level be required to face the electorate on his record at periodical intervals. And in the event he receives a negative vote upon such an election, his office shall thereupon become vacant, and his successor shall be appointed to succeed him. With respect to the Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals, I would propose that this amendment re require reconfirmations of the office holder by the United States Senate at reasonable intervals. Now, this has been brought up, in fact, recently by those on the left because they're ticked off that Donald Trump got all these appointments, and of course, they want Justice Breyer to resign to retire, essentially, so they can get somebody on there because they lost the seat with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. They supposedly lost a seat because it's all ideological, right? So this party 
is saying, well, we need to have review of this every so often anyways. We can't just have somebody sit up there for, for 50 years. they got to go under review. Now, this next part is interesting because this is actually a contemporary debate because we saw it with COVID, right? So let me get to that. We hold that ownership of private property is the right and privilege of every American citizen is one of the foundational stones upon which this nation and its free enterprise system has been built and prospered. We feel that private property rights and human rights are inseparable and indivisible. Only in those nations that guarantee the right of ownership of private property as basic and sacred under the laws or any recognition of human rights. We feel that the American system of private property ownership, coupled with a system of free enterprise, upon the basis of which our country has grown and prospered for more than 200 years, is sacred. And we repudiate and condemn those who propose to transform our nation into a socialist state. And we propose to furnish and provide a national leadership that is dedicated to the preservation and perpetuation of the great American system of private enterprise and private ownership of property. Now, the leftists, communists, the progressives are all going to hate this, right? But... Most Americans are like, yeah, all right, well, we agree with that. We want to have private property, house, you know, a little land somewhere or something. These are important things. We got our stuff, right? And we don't want people abusing it and taking it from us. We repudiate and condemn any federal action regulating and controlling the sale or rental of private property as a socialistic assault upon not only the system of private ownership of property, but upon the right of each American citizen to manage his private affairs without regulation from an all-powerful central government. There is no provision in the federal constitution, which gives Congress the power to regulate the sale or, or rental of private property. Now think about that. What just happened? All during COVID, the Congress said that rent that people that own rental properties can't collect their rent. They can't collect their rent. This is a platform that calls that out. The federal government has no authority to do that, but yet they did it anyways. How? How can they actually put a moratorium on rent collection? Where is the power in the Constitution that allows them to do that? Now, I know that people are hurting, and you might have had rent, you might have had landlords uh, you know, work with people, but at the end of the day, if you're a landlord, you probably don't own the property outright. So you're paying a mortgage on it. You're paying, I mean, because if the property breaks, you still have to fix it. That's legally binding, but yet the person living in it, which is also legally binding, they have to pay you for it. They're not having to do it. Such legislation strikes at the very heart of the American system, and if followed to its logical conclusion, will inevitably lead to a system alien to our concept of free government, where citizens are no longer able to make decisions for themselves or manage their personal affairs. We pledge to take the federal government out of the business of controlling private property, return to the people the right to manage their lives and property in a democratic manner. Crime in order, disorder, lawlessness has become commonplace in our present society. The permissive attitude of the executive and judiciary at national level sets the tone for this moral decay. The criminal anarchist who preys on the decent law-abiding citizen is rewarded for his mis misconduct through never-ending justification and platitudes from those in high places who seem to have lost their concern for this vast segment of America that so strongly believes in law and order. Think about that. Defund the police. Uh, this is just, I mean, this is all, we have to understand the looters. We have to understand the rioters. We have to understand these people. They're just doing things that they just need to be able to do. What is being said here is exactly the same thing that's happening now. We bear much of the root causes for the depredations committed in our streets and in our towns and cities. 
We hold that these are to be found in the apparent absence of respect for the law on the part of the perpetrators of these offenses, and the unexplainable compassion for the criminal evidenced by our executive and judicial officers and and officials. Think about also statues, monuments that are vandalized and tore down. Who's arrested? Who's arrested? These people should have all been arrested, but yet it was all allowed to go on because we have to understand these people. We have to understand this. No, we didn't. We don't have to understand any of it. It should have all been stopped. We advocate and seek a society and a government in which there is an attitude of respect for the law and for those who seek its enforcement and an insistence on the part of our citizens that the judiciary be ever mindful of the primary duty and function of punishing the guilty and protecting the innocent. We urge full support for law enforcement agencies and officers at every level of government in a situation in which their actions will not be unreasonably fettered by arbitrary judicial decrees. We we will insist on fair and equal treatment for all persons before the bar of justice. We will provide for every assistance to the continued training and improvement of our law enforcement facilities at federal and local level, providing and encouraging mutual cooperation between each and his own sphere of responsibility. So a little bit too much of a bleed for federal government here, but I mean, uh, regardless this law and order plank of this platform would resonate even today. I mean, you look at defunding the police. So this is why the left is saying, well, the Republicans are defunding the police. They realize that this call for defunding the police that they started was going to destroy them in the polls because most Americans don't want that. Even, I mean, in these cities where they've defunded the police, crime has skyrocketed and people are saying, my gosh, what the heck are you doing to us? The rest of it is... Uh, things that are, you know, point attorney general that will do the right things. We will not accept violence as the answer to any problem, be it social, economic, or self-developed. Anarchists and law violators will be treated as such and subjected to prompt arrest and prosecution. We'll oppose federal legislation to enforce the restriction of guns by our citizens, feeling that this measure would do little or nothing to deter criminal activity, but rather would prove restrictive to our decent, law-abiding citizens and could well encourage further activity by the criminal. We preserve this to the states their rights to take such reasonable measures as they deem appropriate in this area. So very much, you look at that last part, this is in context of Second Amendment, the states can do things, but the federal government cannot. Uh, they get into cities. The urban areas of our nation are in a state of social and economic unrest, largely brought about through unfilled promises hastily and carelessly made for the and the failure of ill-conceived programs enacted under duress and compulsion. For this, we must hold responsibility, responsible the national leadership of the other two parties. For they were joint partners in this disastrous course of action resulting in the situation now existing in our cities. We object to, the federal, to a federal policy that, which has poured billions of dollars into our cities over the past decades, but which has not been able to prevent the stagnation and decay as resulted in the flight of millions to the suburbs. We reject the notion that the solution is untold additional billions to be poured into the cities in the same manner. Whether such huge sums are to be raised from taxes on the middle class in general or by unwelcome taxes on those who live in the suburbs of the individual cities. We submit that no government can buy contentment for those living in the cities, suburbs, or rural areas. We advocate the formulation of a mutually arrived at joint federal, state, and local policy which will make it economically and socially attractive and physically safe for people to live again in all sections of all of our cities. We submit that the science and technology which made possible the development of the growth of these cities is your instrument whereby this can be brought about. But the important thing, there must be a restoration of law and order. Right? So, we advocate assistance but not control to local government units from the federal level to enable them to cope with their municipality multiplicity I'm sorry, of problems, feeling they are better prepared to offer a solution than those more removed therefrom. So, 
All of this to say, I mean, this is a very law and order based, Jeffersonian based platform. When he gets to foreign policy, when the platform gets to foreign policy, they go through things like health care and uh, welfare. Um, they're talking about increasing Social Security payments, uh, restoration of the 100% income tax deduction for drugs and medical expenses paid out to people over 65. I mean, these are health care, uh, relief to persons who pay deductible charges under Medicare, relief to persons unable to have deducted from the Social Security checks, the monthly fee for physician service coverage under Medicare, providing for uninterrupted nursing home care for those with chronic illness who require such care. Encourage low-cost insurance programs for the elderly and will assist the states and local communities in building hospitals, nursing homes, clinics, as well as medical and nursing schools. It's a very middle-class-centered program. Uh, And in that way, had quite a lot of support around the United States at the time this platform was written. getting into the national economy and and infrastructure and all of these things, which you would often consider to be very leftist agendas, but in many ways are simply just Jeffersonian positions, labor, farming, education, all kinds of stuff in this platform. Transportation, talking about expanded high rail, high-speed rail systems. I mean, this is all interesting stuff, right? Conservation, protection of waterfowl wetlands and nesting areas, uh, trying to work with private companies to ensure areas are protected, supporting veterans and Indian affairs and foreign policy. Uh, foreign aid is going, to be, is going to be removed from people who essentially don't think like us. Uh, trying to bring the troops home from uh, 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 illogical foreign wars. This is a very middle class national having a strong national defense. It's a very middle class platform. And at the end of it, the conclusion, this platform represents the attitude, policy, position, judgment, and determination of this party with respect to the major problems confronting America. We believe that our analysis of the nature of these problems is in keeping with the feelings of the great majority of our people. We further feel that our approach to solution of these matters is sound, logical, practical, and attainable, attainable, and in keeping with the basic inherent good judgment of the American people. Among other proposals, we offer opportunity for early peace to a nation at war. We offer order and domestic tranquility to a nation sorely beset by disorder. We offer a program of job opportunity for the jobless. We offer a return to respect for the law and an opportunity for every citizen to pursue his daily activities in safety and security. We offer to relieve our citizens, their businesses, and institutions from harassment, and intimidation by agents of the federal bureaucracy. We offer to return to the officials of local government those matters rightly and properly falling within their scope of responsibility. We offer the laboring man and woman an opportunity to provide for himself and his family a better and fuller life and a greater democratic freedom in the management of the affairs of his organizations, free from intrusion by the federal government. We offer the farmer an opportunity to regain a place of prominence in this economy of this nation, a fair price for the products of his labor and less dependence on federal subsidization. We offer to restore the dignity, strength, and prestige of this nation to a level commensurate with its position as acknowledged leader of the nations of the free world. We offer a national defense designed to assure the security of this nation and its citizens. And above all, we offer to each individual citizen a system of government recognizing its inherent dignity 
and importance as an individual in affording him an opportunity to take a direct hand in the shaping of his own destiny and the destiny of, of this nation. Under such a system, we are convinced America will reach new heights of greatness. You could say, make America great again, right at the end. Now, I promised to tell you who this was, and when I tell you who, what part of this is and who said this, think about how it makes you feel. The party is the American Independent Party of 1968, and the candidate is George Wallace. Now, George Wallace in 1968 did secure a number of electoral college votes. I think it was 46 in that election. And he was on, of course, major television programs. One of my favorites is when he's on debating William Buckley, and Buckley just can't, Buckley can't beat him. I mean, it's funny to watch the two go at it. And Wallace was portrayed mainly as a liberal in that. And Buckley, all oh, the conservatives say, da, 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 all this stuff. But Wallace's 1968 American Independent Party was the basis in many ways of the Reform Party of the 1990s. And if you look at this, the very Jeffersonian positions it has, it's not necessarily anti-government at all. Uh, it's not necessarily pro-government. In fact, it's anti-federal government in some ways, but it's pro-state government. Uh, it's very Jeffersonian. It's very populist. In fact, this is a populist message. You could have taken a lot of this and put it right into the 2016 Make America Great Again campaign, which is why the left hated it. And when I say George Wallace, of course, the first thing that's going to come to mind is segregation. And Wallace was asked about that, and he said, look, I mean, uh, by 1972, he had firmly backed off from that. And even before he became governor in 63, uh, he was the moderate man when it came to segregation in Alabama. Uh, John Patterson, his opponent, was certainly considered to be the much more ardent segregationist. And John Patterson just died, by the way. Uh, but certainly, uh, Wallace was certain was more anti was more moderate on the issue than anything else. But he became an ardent segregationist in the early '60s because he thought that's what the people of Alabama wanted. So he was very much um, trying to appease the population. You could say he was almost a demagogue in that way. But so we all recoil at that, right? I mean, that's the natural response. Oh my gosh, George Wallace! So I can't like him. Why? Because the left has made it to where if he had unacceptable views on one area, very narrow area, then you can't like anything else the guy said. And you look at this platform, you look at all the things, it's not race-based at all. There's nothing racial about this. It talks about local rule. It talks about states' rights. It talks about free economies. It talks about men and women, farmers, laborers, equal justice. It talks about law and order. It talks about all these things, not based on race. It's not a race-based program. I did leave out because it would have it would have given it away. There was one sentence in there about the Civil Rights Act, which was critical of Civil Rights Act, but so was Barry Goldwater in 1964, which, of course, uh, he was painted as a racist then. Even though Barry Goldwater was against segregation in Arizona and did all he could to get rid of it there, but because he thought the Federal Civil Rights Act of 1964 was unconstitutional, he was painted as a racist, and so nothing else that he said mattered. This is the point I make about this very narrow, acceptable opinion on race, class, gender. If, if somebody doesn't have that, then you can't listen to anything else they said. This platform has beautiful things in it about the middle class, about taxes, about spending, about inflation, about foreign policy, about farmers, about mechanics, about equal justice, about law and order, about cities, all these things. But because of one issue, because of one thing George Wallace said, and his actions, by the way, which were despicable in the 1960s, 
You are now, he's persona non grata. But if somebody came up with this platform today, I think it would be a winner. If somebody came up with this today and they said these things, it would be a winner. You would win elections hands down because what you would do, and of course Wallace is good at this, is portraying the other side as a bunch of you know, malcontents and uh, disorderly people. He's, he talked about it a lot. He was very good at that. But this would be a winning strategy today. Unfortunately, no one really has the guts to go out. Trump did, in a way. I mean, Trump pulled some of this stuff, but that was Pat Cadell. That was the Jeffersonian part of this. That's why I say Americans are all fundamentally Jeffersonians. We have to get back to that. Think locally, act locally is part of that. But if we're going to look at political platforms, then they need to be Jeffersonian in nature and not beholden to corporations, big government, big parties. It's never going to work. The establishment, it never works. Independent, I mean, again, Wallace pulled some, some states in the South. Nixon figured this out in 1972. His Southern strategy was to try to capitalize on this on these people, and he appealed directly to these type of things in 1972, and Reagan did the exact same thing in 1980. Every time it's done, it works, and people win. Didn't happen in 2020 because we know there was some other dynamics working there with the pandemic and other things, and we'll see how all that shakes out in the future. But we know that this type of Jeffersonian platform wins, and it gains a lot of traction. All right. I'll see you next week on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.